Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. What are global money flows telling us? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Gio Chen, director of Three Keys. Hi, Gio. It's great to see you again. Hey, Maggie. Good to be back. Uh, Gio, Gio joins us from Singapore, so this is a heavy lift for him, and we really appreciate it. Uh, but there's no sleep for anyone, it seems like, these days, Gio. Um, so we just wrapped up the U.S. session. U.S. stocks tried to bounce back, but the gains were pretty modest, definitely off our highs as we head into the close, and volume pretty anemic. What What's your view of the market right now? What kind of macro framework are you operating off of? Yeah. Um, you know, back in... Q4 last year, the, the market was on life support, um, economy was on life support, and we suddenly got this big adrenaline shot of the China reopening. We saw liquidity surge, and that gave the market a lease of life. But now I think that uh, that adrenaline shot is now fading, and the market is starting to, to lose momentum. So um, we've also seen that global liquidity support Wayne, and I think that's also going to weigh in the market from here. Yeah, you so, sent over a chart yeah. actually that that kind of lays this out really nicely. Hopefully, we can pull that up. But uh, so, how closely do you feel like that tracks? Like, what do we need to understand about that dynamic? And if if we're losing that, what does that losing that sort of impetus? What does it mean for risk assets? Yeah, you know, risk assets tend to track global liquidity pretty closely, and and this is not just Fed liquidity, but it also includes, um, you know, the BOJ, ECB, um, you know, PBOC, as well as the Treasury General Account and the reverse repo. So it's a, it's a complete view of global liquidity, and and you can see it's it's rolled over, um, and the the market is following it right now, and. Um, you know, until this turns, I'm I'm not really going to be very bullish risk assets. Mm. The the other thing is that real yields have have surged quite a lot over the last few weeks. Um, so at first, this this was because the economy was recovering, recession risks were getting priced out, but real yields have gone up a little bit too far, too fast for for risk assets to be comfortable. Yeah. yeah, we've seen a big adjustment, haven't we? So first of all, I just want to say, if you have any questions for Gio, you know what to do. You can drop them in the chat or tweet us at Real Vision, and we'll get to as many as we can. So when you, first of all, let's stick with global liquidity for just one moment. Is this, so the 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 lift in liquidity that we saw and the help that it provided, support that it provided or adrenaline to risk assets, uh, is it, is it gone and not coming back because we're still in a tightening, a tightening cycle? How or are we going to see ebbs and flows, and will risk assets move with that? I do think we will see ebbs and flows. It's possible that China may try to continue to stimulate their economy. It's possible that the BOJ might try to might end up buying more bonds. So it's hard to 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 see what's going to happen. 
um, out of China and Japan. But I think, um, you know, for for the Fed, yes, we have about 400 billion worth of um, liquidity in the Treasury General account that could be spent. But once that's spent, the the Fed is uh, the Treasury is going to have to pull liquidity out of the system again, and this could happen by Q uh, Q two Q three. Do you think that how how concerned are you? How close are you watching the BOJ? I'm I'm watching them pretty closely because, um, you know, the BOJ policy and Japanese institutions they they are the, one of the big pillars of of the uh, global bond market. Um, so if they normalize and if if their yields if their yield cap gets widened, then you know basically that that's going to pull out the floor from uh, from you know Japanese institutions buying global bonds, mm-hmm. and um, you know that's just going to make the downside for global bonds a lot scarier. Yeah, do you think the 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 sense when you, people are starting to talk to it, and I'm not sure it's front and center for everyone because people are sort of looking out to June, so maybe a little further down the you know down the year than than people are focused right now. When we're getting you know we're kind of from data read to data read, and we're so focused on inflation. Do you think that uh, investors in the West have it right? There is this sense that there's a change in. Uh, in officials, this is going to be it. This is going to mean that they that that it is going to make a change to yield curve control. And then the question is, can they control it? But there's a sense there it's going to change. Do you think that is overstated? Could could investors be wrong about that? Uh, you mean wrong about you know, what that, the that they BLJ that they extend the band? Yeah, that they kind of start to start to change their policy toward that toward yield curve control. Yeah. You know, I think um, they will be forced to. Mm-hmm. So similar to what the the Fed being very determined to keep rates low back in 2021, but then the data came and inflation and wages were a lot higher than expected, and they were well behind the curve and they were forced to move. So I think something is going to happen um, to the BOJ in a similar vein, where the wage data, the, the inflation data, is going to be. Uh, a lot hotter than they expect. You know, they, they're expecting inflation to go down. They're expecting the global economy to slow down um, and and take Japanese inflation down with it. But it's clear that's not happening. Um, the, you know, China reopening has has um, extended the, the inflation runway for Japan as well um, so that we may see a higher peak than what we normally uh, otherwise would have for Japan. Mm. That's really interesting. So uh, it's interesting that you're looking at global liquidity flows. I had a chance to sit down with Mike Green uh, of Simplify uh, for our podcast, My Life in Four Trades. And first of all, he was also looking at those global liquidity concerns, uh, the temporary nature of the liquidity injections that you just mentioned. But he's also worried about some other market conditions. Let's have a listen to that clip, uh, and then we'll talk on the other side. In this situation, like what I'm just constantly forced to do is I go back to the same thing I did with the home builders. Did anything change? Am I seeing the behavior differently? I'm looking at flows right now. 
and I'm seeing money continue to come into passive vehicles and leave active vehicles. Does that mean that the things that I'm worried about or the, the positions that I'm focused on happen exactly the same way as they did in 1929? No, right? Not at all. But the kindling is on the fire, right? And now it's a question of does somebody throw gasoline in a match? We don't know, right? The gasoline in the match for the Volmageddon was the Fed in an unanticipated way changing the capital requirements for shortfall trades, setting off a scramble. I have to believe that the Federal Reserve's actions that, that we're going through now, the unprecedented hiking cycle, the intensity with which they're pursuing inflation, that that's going to create conditions under which somebody gets stretched enough that they go postal, right? And I want to be positioned for that opportunity. And it's funny because just before we went to that, Oliver uh, in in one of the chats, put 1929 when the free bread. Um, and my Mike is kind of re venturing back to that, re referring back to that time period, which is I know scares all of us. Uh, but um, do you worry? Uh, first of all, if you want to see that whole interview, it's fantastic. Uh, I encourage you to have a listen to it. A lot of parallels that Mike sees um, between things he's gone through before and setups he sees kind of happening again. I mean, you know, that old phrase, history repeats itself. Um, so uh, fantastic sort of lesson for everyone. Uh, the full interview is on the website. Just hit the QR code and find out how you can become part of our community if you're not already. Um, Gio, do you, first of all, you know, what are your thoughts on that? And do you worry, he, he, he says someone going postal, but do you worry about a failure that would be systemic in some way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, with regards to 1929, I think the kindling is there, except this time it's, it's really in the government bond market because we've had all these passive flows going into 60-40 strategies. Um, and 60-40 is probably not gonna work for, for a long time just because inflation volatility is, is gonna be here with us uh, for, for a while. Um, and meanwhile, you have a lot of pillars of support for the treasury bond market falling away. And there's still a lot of downside because there's still very little term premium out there in the market. Investors are still not getting paid to take the risk um, that, they're, that they're taking in long dated bonds. And you know, we saw a glimpse of this in the LDI crisis in the UK guilt market. And I just think that's a prelude for, for what's gonna be happening over, over the next coming years. So, you know, I'm not saying that bonds are gonna crash today, but there, there are gonna be some volatility events um, just like we saw in guilts over coming years. Which is gonna create a problem for central banks. Well, it's gonna be, Absolutely. it's gonna create a problem beyond central banks, that's it. That is the, <laughs> an understatement. Hey everyone, we're gonna take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Walk us through how, what would be the catalyst and how what does that mean in real terms? I mean, obviously, we'll see yields go higher. Yeah. Well, if you if you look at what happened with UK gilts, um, it was basically you know, the the government and, and central bank saying we're we're going to stop being responsible. Uh, we're we're going to stop spending responsibly. Um, 
and the market basically called them out on it. So, so I think, um, you know, what could trigger that? Same thing happening in, in the treasury market. It could be a combination of, um, you know, accelerated spending by the treasury, whether it's the fund, um, you know, military war in Ukraine, mm-hmm. the economy, um, you know, fighting inflation, and then maybe you know the the market not really believing the Fed anymore, and you know, believing that the Fed is determined in in um, getting inflation back down. So then, in, in a case like that, where the Fed loses credibility, the government loses credibility, you could see thirty year thirty year yields really shoot up. Yeah. I think this is where the BOJ becomes worrying for people as well. You know, that's another one of those the events out there that yeah. if they, we had George asking, what about the BOJ problems, the yen, the dollar yen effect on the global economy? If they are not able to keep control, even if they're changing it, if they lose control of that yield curve, I mean, that could have huge implications. Yeah, I, I do think so. Um, I think the BOJ. You know, I don't think they're going to pull the rug out completely from the 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 JGB bond market. I, I do think that they'll have to somehow, um, you know, manage that move when it when it does happen. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it'll it'll be disruptive for sure, and especially you know to global bond markets, not just the JGB market. Yeah, I guess the question is: so you think they can? that they can handle it, that they will be able to keep, at least maintain it in some orderly fashion. Yeah, I can, I can see a scenario where, where, you know, they, they try to smooth the move. Um, and, and yeah, they'll have to be forced to buy a lot of bonds, but they've already been doing that. Yeah. The reason we keep talking about this, and we will, even if you're somebody who doesn't have any international exposure, is and the reason some of our regulars are asking about it is because, as as Gio just pointed out, it could have huge implications for rates everywhere in the economy, which is definitely something to pay attention to. Uh, Gio, I know you sent over another chart, uh, and we ha- and by the way, we we as you mentioned earlier, we have seen big moves in U.S. rates on those yields for U.S. Treasuries when everyone started rethinking the Fed after that batch of stronger than expected data. You sent over a, a chart of the SPX versus the move index. Why are you watching this? What are we looking at here? Yeah. So the the move index is basically an index of uh, treasury bond volatility. And you could see that it was it was starting to trend lower um, you know, over the turn of this year. And, and, you know, that was based on the Fed kind of honing in on, on terminal rate being, you know, a little bit under five, the market had a line of sight on when the Fed was going to stop hiking. Uh, And then suddenly all within the space of a few weeks, we had some really hot data, uh, NFP, retail sales and and CPI and, and PC last Friday, and suddenly uh, expectations of terminal rate are are shooting back up, and now the market doesn't really know when the Fed is going to stop hiking, and this has the markets really worried. So, yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, and, and we see that. So, you know, it's interesting this week, we have a big jobs report at the end of the week, which I think is going to be very important. We did the economic data. It's hard. It's hard to get any clarity. We had durable goods fall today. Uh, that's a bit backward looking, but pending home sales rose. They're still down sharply year over year, but that monthly number did beat expectations. But there seems to be so much sort of uncertainty and seasonal effects. No one's really sure, you know, what what kind of read. Do you think that Fed policy is just not working or have we just not seen the impact of all of the rate hikes to date? I think I do think it's working. I do think that um, the the broader trend is that the economy is weakening and that this most recent strength has been partly due to liquidity and the China reopening. So I think that um, you know we are going to see perhaps one more month of strong data, um, maybe two, but then that's going to roll over. So so I am expecting the hot data to to continue um into march and for yields to start to continue grinding higher but i don't think it's sustainable so you see you see an adjustment in the market in the treasury market once we start to get that that slower data in because right now they're really ramped up expectations for what the fed is going to do do you think they've overdone it i don't think they've overdone it yet i think it's still possible um that the fed could even hike 50 in March, if we have one or two, you know, pretty hot data prints, uh, NFP um, inflation. It's, you know, I, I think it's um, it's a real risk that that the Fed terminal rate is going to go go above 5.6. So I don't think we're we're there yet. And as a global macro trader, my you know my focus is really on the first derivative right now because that's been a clearest trade. The the global liquidity surge, the China reopening, flowing into uh, economic data, pushing inflation higher, and resulting in higher yields. The the rollover in, in risk and the higher dollar is is really just the second derivative effect, and the um, market response there hasn't been as as strong as just being you know short the front end of, of the interest rate market we have a, a question from paul i don't i don't know if you have all this at your fingertips but uh, i i don't know if uh for those of you who are not members um geo did a fantastic three we have a show called three ideas three big ideas or three ideas um and he did one back in december and paul was asking for an update on that so back then you were looking at uh, France, USA, five thirty-year U.S. Treasury steepener, long gold and long yen, JPY USD. Um, any update on on those trades and how you are thinking about those now? Those areas now? Yeah. Um, so, so in my blog, Fidesz uh, Macro, I, I track those trades and uh, and you know posted performance on, on the blog. And um, I also update on what I'm doing with those trades. So the five 30 year steepener, um, I decided that it was still too early to, to play for that move. So I I got out of that position at a, at a small profit. Um, dollar yen gold are are in the money. And um, with dollar yen, I've 
you know, stolen the money, but given back some some profits on that because the the surge in the dollar. Mm. Um, I still think that dollar yen this year is going to be is the downtrend will resume, but I I do think that's after we we see the the economic data roll over. Uh, so I'm still in that trade. Um, gold, I took profit and got back in about five percent lower. Um, oh, it's interesting. So do you still feel like gold is going to move to the upside? Because that was a lot of that. That was a big favorite at the turn of the year. And then, of course, we saw the downdraft. But is that just responding to that global liquidity and the rise in risk? How, how, how are you thinking about gold? Yeah, gold um, had a really strong upward trend and it got very, very overbought. Mm. So, so. Part of the snapback was because it was overbought, but also because, um, you know, expectations for the terminal rate have have shot up, and real yields have been going back up. So that's that's been weighing on gold. Um, I do think that when the market kind of finds a ceiling on real yields and a ceiling on Fed terminal rates, gold is going to shoot back up again, especially now that a lot of Dates or, or or week longs have been cleared out, um, and in the long long run, uh, and I'm talking about you know time horizon of, of one year or more, we're we're seeing the the Fed uh, the the Treasury budget deficit. You know it's it's projected to be at a deficit for the foreseeable future, and and these are estimates from the CBO that the government is saying that we're we're going to be borrowing. Um, and, and spending a lot more than than what we're taking in for the foreseeable future, and and their estimates even even widened. So you have to wonder in in a environment of of volatile inflation, how su sustainable is this? Yeah, we're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Yeah, fantastic question. By the way, thank you, Trillinex. Uh, Non-farm payrolls is not this Friday. It's the following Friday. Usually it's the first Friday of the month, uh, but we have ISM this Friday. So non-farm payroll is going to be March 10th. So we've got two weeks to stress out about it. Thank you very much. Uh, we have a great question uh, from, Con uh, no, sorry, from Oliver, um, who's asking, what is a risk that is not somewhat factored into the market already? You know, we have everything from World War III to recession to depression on the table. I mean, there are a lot of concerns out there. Is there something you think that's not, that investors are not paying as much attention to as they should, Gio? Um, I do think that uh, tension between U.S. and China is is always going to be there in the background. And, you know, the the trend is definitely towards um, bifurcation of of investment capital, and I think that the there is a real risk that the the U.S. imposes regulations that um, prevent a lot of investors from from investing in China. And I don't know if this is going to be in the public markets and in, in ETFs or just private markets or or certain industries, but I do think it's coming, um, and. It, you know, that's that's just going to weigh on on the Asian markets. 
So you think that that's interesting because someone asked, do you like the Singapore Strait Times equity index at these level? What about other Asian equity uh, markets? Anything that looks good to you? Um, you know, Japan is, is interesting to me. Um, mainly because it's historically been cheap. And I think that when... You know, I do think that Asia and Japan can can weather this economic weakness this year, um, perhaps better than than the U.S. And especially in the financials, where the the banks are are benefiting a lot from um, speculation of, of BOJ uh, normalization. There was a connected to the China reopening. There was this idea that you would also see sort of a halo around some of the Asian markets that benefit, whether it's tourism, whether it's trade. You know that reopening would would spur a lot of economic activity in the region. Are we seeing that? What, what is is the reopening living China's reopening living up to everyone's expectations? Yeah, you know. The FXI uh, China ETF is, is down 15% from the high right now, so it's it's kind of a, a barometer of how you know how much the China reopening is feeding into the markets. It seems like the the impulse has has waned a bit, and and you do see you know the the central bank trying to inject liquidity, trying to stimulate the economy, but I think the jury is still out on on how uh, durable and and um, you know, how strong this reopening is going to, going to be, especially with regard to the financial markets. Yeah. Do you, somebody uh, earlier, I, I can't find it now, but was talking about some of the Chinese stocks. Do you think based on that, that threat of deepening tension between the U.S. and China and the possibility of some sort of, um, I don't know if you want to call it a sanction, but, you know, some sort of action that would, would you be investing in China at all right now, given that? I think it's just really risky. Um, and, you know, after this rally, I think a lot of the low hanging fruit that was there last year when everything was just ridiculously cheap, I think, um, you know, things aren't as, as, as cheap anymore. And it's clear that, you know, you have the China reopening impulse. Not sure if that's going to last, um, you know, for, I guess, six months to a year, which is the typical time horizon for, for a lot of investors. Um, coming out on the other side, you still have the real estate debt bubble that is still imploding. That's that's a problem that's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, so so geopolitic, geopolitics, China debt bubble, um, these things still concern me. And that's why I'm not hugely bullish on, on China equities. Mm. Is there any area that you do feel bullish on? Because it's kind of, it seems fraught with yeah. you know, worry, and a lot of a lot of people that we've had on, um, as our viewers will attest to, and I think some of them just that's the only thing that's been working for them. Everyone's saying cash because you're getting paid to sit in cash when the outlook's so uncertain without too much risk. Um, what about you? What do you? How are you thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, cash is is generating a great return, and I, I personally um, have allocated a lot to T bills. And it's just a great way of getting yield while while sitting in dry powder. I I think that 
you know, there's a lot of debate on whether we're going to have a soft landing or a hard landing. Um, I personally, I'm not focusing on that because I think I, I think we're still climbing up the hill of of the Fed hiking cycle. I don't know what's on the other side, um, but you know, I'm not going to focus on 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 the on coming down the other side uh, until we get to the top. So um, you know, if we get to the top and and it looks like we're going to see a soft landing, then I'll be starting to allocate to equities again. And um, but until until I get you know that view, um, I think it's still too early to say. A lot of people were sort of surprised to see those tech names when 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 equities did get a bid at the beginning of the year. They were surprised. They thought it was going to be value. They thought it was going to look different. And yet you saw some of those tech names. Yeah. Um, and, and Jim Bianco was pointing out Friday, very concentrated. It wasn't very many of them, but you saw ARC have a fantastic run. I mean, people were scratching their heads at that. Does it if if once we are in a position where you're thinking about going back into equities, is it going to look different than it did? Or is that going to be continue to be where the money goes when you sort of see the green flag uh, and people are ready to go back into risk? Yeah, that, that was very surprising, I have to say. And be, because, you know, the popular favorites of what to be long if the market recovers, as you said, value, energy, um, emerging markets. You know, they I mean, they did well, but they they didn't go up as much as the, you know, the the hated uh, most shorted stocks, um, you know, low or or low or, or negative profit companies. And um, the, the question is, when we come out, uh, when we bottom out, um, you know, what's going to go up the most? I, I really don't know. Um, I think a lot of that surge was due to liquidity, uh, especially you know coming coming out of Asia, um, and that helped a lot of the crypto names. And it was also a function of a lot of those names just being so beaten down, and those those downtrends being so oversold. Yeah, it's it's such a it's such a, a difficult environment as we've had so many that come on and say, do you think the Fed's framework is broken? I mean, obviously, they're trying to engineer this. They're trying to get inflation under control. Do you think the framework they're operating on even works anymore? <laughs> I, I don't think they have a framework. So the answer is no. Um, I think, you know, they're they're like riding, they're flying a plane where the, the instruments don't work anymore. They previously relied on their instruments to tell them where they were going to land. But the instruments don't work anymore. And now they're just, you know, trying to use their their own vision through through a field of fog and you know when when this happens um you know sometimes you, you might see things too late and so you know they they might not see where they're supposed to land and, until it's too late and that's the kind of thing that could potentially cause a hard landing um later this year so we'll, we'll see what happens yeah well put so if if i Think about everything that you were just talking about. Um, that that right there sums it up. That they don't have a framework. Their their possibility for a policy error is high. Cash is also something you like as you're trying to buy time to figure out you know when they stop climbing up the hill of policy. Um, when they when they do get a handle on things, uh, you think golds will have a bounce. 
uh, you're concerned, you share some of Mike Green's concerns about what what will happen uh, or the or sort of risk to the market, um, especially when we're looking at government bond markets. Um, and And that sort of rally we saw at the beginning of the year was really more to do with global liquidity than any kind of fundamental conviction, which makes risk assets uh, pretty vulnerable right now. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. How low, How how concerned are you on the downside for risk assets? Are we just going to grind along the bottom here, or do you see a real concern that we could go back and test those lows? I think it's going to be a grind. Um, because... You know, the, the market is not super long. Asset managers, hedge funds have not piled into equities, neither have CTAs. I think a lot of the uh, the surge in in January and February has been due to retail. Um, so a lot of that liquidity got pumped into retail. And um, so, you know, there, there, I've seen some data where where the flows from retail have just surged to, um, you know, above above the highs of last year, on on on, you know, the two big rallies that we had last year, and um, so I think that's where flows could unwind. But once those unwind, there's not going to be a lot of people left to sell. So I do think I don't know if we're necessarily going to see the the lows from last year um, get get taken out. I, I just think we're going to be in a period of of uh, moderate weakness. Mm, that's a great point. Gio, it's always fantastic to catch up with you. Thank you so much for bearing with the time difference and, and joining us again. Great to get your view. Um, and, and really anyone who's sort of as like to get the view from all around the world um, to see if there's any differences. So it's great to catch up with you. Yes, yeah, good to catch up with you too. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you once again for the great questions. You guys are amazing. We will be back same time tomorrow with Tony Greer. Some Come armed with some, some other good ones. We'll see you then. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest and biggest names in finance.